says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet, one that we're hoping should be plenty of fun. Uh, I'm your host as always, John, also known as 4020, and joining me, as is always the case, is my good mate 60s. Looking forward to this one, mate. This should be uh, a ton of fun, bouncing off each other as we go through what I suppose is a working title, but the TCT Season Awards from top to bottom, from Matt's right up through to the NRL, mate. Yes, mate. Forget the Dally M's, forget the Ken Thornet medal. This will be the award that every player in the Parramatta Eels organisation will covet, especially once we move past that working title. <laughs> yeah, so uh, feel free to have a shout in the comments for any sort of uh, witty or clever uh, solution, I suppose, to the uh, TCT Season Awards. We're open to suggestions. Obviously, it's a workshopping, uh, pro- uh, workshopping process. But yeah, mate, let's uh let's start the ball rolling because we've got what one, two, three, four, five, six grades to get through. Uh, it's going to be a lot because we're going to do a quick season wrap up. We've got four awards in each grade. Um, we've got also just shout outs to the top try scorers and top uh, uh, point scorers. So plenty of work to get through there. Starting with the under well, I was about to say under sixteens, but it's under seventeens now as the um. The junior reps um, accommodate that lost season last year and bump themselves up one age bracket. So under 17s for the Mats, under 19s for the Ball, and under 19s for the Tasha Gale. Let's start with the Harold Matthews, the most productive of our three junior franchises or junior representatives uh, in the 2021 season. They went through the regular season, finishing second, nine round competition. They went seven and one with one bye, second best record in the competition, obviously given their later finish. The only defeat they suffered was the first game of the season up against Manly who they would go on to play in the grand final after defeating the Penrith Panthers in the grand final qualifier in that new format. It was a top six format in the junior reps this year, which means that one and two got the first week of the finals off, played through straight to the grand final qualifier, and then obviously the big dance itself. Met the Seagulls, who were undefeated in the grand final, losing 24-12 to in a very uh, physical and fast match. Uh, and Manly being the only team they lost to twice is a bit of a uh, sour pill to swallow, mate, but that was the way it is. They were an outstanding team. In terms of yeah, the, very, very, very big and physical team too. Yeah, oh, yes, they had a, a huge blend of monstrous forwards and some dynamite outside backs and halves, which was very hard to contain at any level, let alone the Harold Matthews. So, you know, it, it sucks to lose to an arch rival in particular, but mainly we're a very worthy premiership team. But for the Eels, I mean, the the big thing for us was that we were stunned as we went throughout the course of that grade how many of the kids were a year young, and they're, they're going to be back next year or. Next, uh, 2022, sorry, to make a huge run at the title for that season. And, yeah, just a testament to the talent and to the uh, wearable of a, young, a series of young kids there to stand up young in the grade and make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and as you say, we're going to see uh, and talk about some of those players when it comes to the ones that will be backing up in the same grade um, in our podcast later in this week as we run our eyes over the junior rep lists that have been announced this week. Mm-hmm. So just looking at that teammate, uh, top try scorer or t- uh, was 
the same as a top point scorer, actually. So uh, Ethan Sanders, the halfback, he scored 82 points, six tries, 29 conversions amongst penalty goals and try conversions. Also ended up scoring those six tries, which was the best in the team, which is funny because this was a team that shared the uh, success around, I suppose. Yeah, it was. And um, uh, as I said, it's, it, it's a team that, well, we certainly enjoyed being able to cover them. I uh, really want to thank Steve O'Day and his staff for uh, allowing us the uh, privilege of being involved in grand final week as well. So that was that was special for us, being there for jersey presentations and the captain's run, uh, the team meeting before the, uh, before the uh, captain's run. Yeah, really, really um, good year for the team, good year for the coaching staff and an enjoyable year for us to cover. Yes, sir. So let's get on to the gongs, mate. And I don't know where you want to start. If you want to start with our most valuable player, the best positional awards among the forward and the backs, or your what I, what I dubbed in our workshop process, the, the 60 Spotlight Award is the player to watch. I think let's go through, for every grade, we'll go through um, our our player of the year, our, then our best back, our best forward, and the Spotlight Award, which is the player to watch going into next season. Alrighty, so let's start with our MVPs. Now, bear in mind, we've done this process entirely separate. So this is a, like, you can call it like a silent count or a silent uh, awards between the two of us. We didn't consult. We've each come up with our own independent list here. So it's going to be fun to see uh, who we nominated and who missed out in our respective lists. My best player, and this was very, very hard to decide because this team, like we said before, they were just phenomenal across the park. They had some forwards putting in huge efforts every week. Their entire backline were productive. They were just such a well-balanced unit from you know the, the first pick guy in, in number one who was the fullback, Patrick Spence, right through to the, the last player on the bench in a given week. I armed an ard and I ended up going with the captain. I, I picked Charlie Geimer out in the centres. I thought, especially towards the back end of the season where the games got tighter and tighter and we had that cracking game against the Penrith Panthers in the, in the qualifier, the grand final qualifier. I thought that Charlie stood tall as the pressure started getting harder or heavier and heavier. Mate, isn't this amazing? Because um, as you said, we didn't consult. And the result of that is that we've come up with two completely different players. And for the, but for the same reasons, I found it almost impossible to, come up with players in each position simply because of the the level of uh, competitiveness across the various positions. So my player of the year is Ethan Sanders. Now, you mentioned him as the top point scorer. I just thought he had an outstanding season organising the team, and uh, I think he's going to be a player that is going to make his mark in the Parramatta club as a, um, a half of the future. Yeah, and Ethan was right up there for me as well, narrowly, narrowly missing out on the, the, the best player gong, and geez, it was tight. Because Ethan, I think it was funny, because our criticism of the team coming into the week one game against Manly after that preseason was maybe a little bit of a lack of directional kicking was going to cost him. And, and that was clearly something he addressed and worked really hard on. And he started nailing teams in terms of uh, that aspect of the game with his long-distance kicking. So... Yeah, he would have been uh, very close to Geimer in my marks and, and a deserved winner in your books, mate. So very fair, which then brings us nicely onto the best back because it shouldn't come as a surprise that I would then go on to give Ethan Sanders the gong here. And, and I say that for qualifier, it was very hard to overlook Sanders for the MVP over Charlie Geimer, which means that he then wins the best back for me. But then in saying that, 
There's a couple of other guys in that back line. Patrick Spence, desperately unlucky not to get best back here. He was outstanding at fullback, an absolute pro's pro uh, in, in the Harold Matthews age group. Just so tidy, so safe on the high ball, finish it off the back line moves perfectly. It was, you know, very, very good and, and, you know, in one of the most important positions. Well, it's, again, it's interesting, the, uh, the comments that you just made then about who you found it difficult to leave out with getting an award and who you gave the award to, I'm flipping that switch because my best back is Patrick Spence for all the reasons that you just <laughs> nominated. His consistency of performance was just absolutely outstanding. He was... Uh, it's going to be interesting watching Patrick develop as he as he goes forward because being that... Uh, in that fullback position, and to be as outstanding as he was at, at that age, it really does all go well for his development going forward. Because, as I said, it was all about that consistency of performance. You spoke about the professionalism in terms of what he was delivering week in, week out. And then I'm looking at it and I go, man, I'm such a huge fan of Charlie Geimer as a footballer, and I can't believe that I couldn't find uh, an award for him as either player of the year or best back. So um, essentially between the two of us, we've managed to cover it. So um, yeah, because uh, yeah, Charlie is just outstanding out there in the centres and, uh, and is also a, a great prospect for the club going through. So it's been an absolutely uh, torrid battle amongst these first two awards and it continues right into the best forward because the Eels pack was sensational across the course of the season. Some uh, big boppers with huge engines in the front row, some dynamic presences in the back row, including uh, you know f- guys that were able to flex across you know edge and middle at, at the back of a coach's call. I really struggled for this one, and in the end, I went for a guy, perhaps a little bit of a surprise. He's a year young in the grade, which I was stunned to find out. Absolutely huge engine. He was sensational in the preseason and really put himself on our radar because of that and then back that up right through the nine rounds, regular season plus the two finals games. Um, big Sam Tuovati was my best forward, and that that is just ahead of a couple of fantastic guys. Talking about Miles Martin, um, and then in the back row, there was a number of guys that really, really should have um, been right in the mix there, but just because you got the one spot, it's tough, mate. It is, and I nearly went for, I nearly went for one of our front row fellas, um, you mentioned Miles Martin as well. He's uh, going to be a player of the future. Unfortunately, it looks like he's not going to be a player of the future with the Eels. He's, uh, I believe, moving on to Newcastle Knights uh, for his future there. The player that I've decided to nominate, I was torn between the back rowers, and I've, I've gone for Dom Destratus because I just thought the the work ethic of our back row forwards in that in that grade was outstanding. So uh, Dom just gets gets the nod for yeah. me for best forward. And Dom, funny story, I think Raf was starting, his twin brother was starting ahead of him in the first round, and then I think Raf got banged up and, and Dom jumped right into that opportunity, had some, like you said, a good, not just a good, a great worker in the back row, but then there'll be these moments where he just got the ball and had this siphing run, just planted it, I think it was his right foot, and just would cut the, the defence apart ran some courageous uh, lines every game, uh, worthy recipient there. And the other player I wanted to shout out in the back row was Saxon Pryke, who was that sort of dual role player between edge and middle and had some huge games in the back end of the season. 
Well, that's why I found it very, very difficult to separate the back rowers. And I could have just as easily gone for Saxon, but I, I just thought that uh, Dom edged just a little bit ahead of him. But in, in saying that, it was a struck match between the two of those players for me. So that wraps up the uh, two positional awards there, best forward and best back, obviously. We'll move yes. on to our final gong of the Harold Matthews 2021 season. And this one's a little bit more nebulous, mate, because you could see it as the most improved award. You could see it as the one to watch in the future. Uh, it's the the kid that we each saw this year that jumped out of us and maybe not enough to take off one of the major gongs, I suppose, in terms of MVP or, or best forward or best back. But someone that even despite that, you know there's something there that they could really kick on in 2022 and beyond. So I've dubbed it the 60 Spotlight Award in, in light of your Spotlight articles and the fact that you're running your eye over all these uh, young talents all the time. And for me, I felt that in a team that had a number of young guys, you had obviously Sam Tulvade, I mentioned, who's going to be back. You also had on the bench Jacob John, who was a, a you know big enforcer in the middle. There was another young kid that just got an opportunity uh, early on in the season from being sort of the bench utility and just took it and ran with it and never looked back, and that was Blaze Talangi. And he was just incredible. He had some absolute standout performances, did not look like he was a year young, dominated in defense, ran the ball, passed the ball, kicked the ball, just did everything so well, and I'm really, really excited as to what he's going to bring to us in 2022. Oh, mate, here's where we've tuned in on the same wavelength because I've also gone with Blaze as my 60s spotlight player uh, to watch. He reminds me so much of Dylan Brown for that physicality of his game. And he just has... There is that... There's an indefinable something about Blaze. And he covered a number of positions coming off the bench and then in the latter part of the season got the starting position at 5'8". And I thought he was just outstanding. And his physicality in the face of that Manly team in the grand final was absolutely outstanding. And he's going to be running around in the Harold Mats again next season. And you have to think, he caught our eye as a player uh, playing young in the Harold Mats this season. What's he going to be like next season? I, I, I think he's got a great future ahead of him. And that wraps up the Harold Matthews, who had a fantastic campaign falling just that final result short of a, what you'd dub a highly successful season. In, in, in spite of that, still a very, very good result. Lots of incredible play development. Guys are going to kick on to SG Ball and make a difference there. Guys are going to return in the Harold Matthews and have another tilt at the title. So lots to uh, look forward to there, including that podcast you were talking about before 60s that we're going to have with uh, Joey Grimer and have a chance to uh, analyse the 2022 squad. Sorry. But that takes us on to the SG Ball, where we've got that fresh set of four awards. Now, the SG Ball, uh, it was a bit of a tough year for them because they were at the whims of player development in other grades, which is a good thing in the big picture, but it made things tough for them. Uh, they had a, a whole string of blue chip talent that would go on to play NRL in 2021, unavailable to them. So these guys were playing either Flegg or New South Wales Cup and would be training with them instead of playing the SG Ball, which was understandable, like we said, in in the context of prioritizing your NRL results, which is what the club is about. So they ended up finishing seventh at the end of nine rounds, which under that new top six system that we just mentioned earlier means they just missed the cutoff. Um, they were forced to scrap and battle 
because of those lack of stars available. And in spite of that, still uh, got plenty of results on the board. Their top point scorer for the season was their halfback, Josh Chappell, much like in the mats, the halfbacks. Not a surprise, given that they're kicking all the goals. Uh, for Josh, he scored two tries, kicked 29 conversions, and one field goal uh, added there too. Top try scorer, probably not one you'd be expecting, but it was the lock forward and occasional edge forward, Peter Tatia, who was also captain of the team. So uh, Pete was a, a real weapon in the grade and uh, wouldn't be surprised to hear his name feature very shortly. Um, any comments on their season, mate, before we move on to the individual gongs? Mate, it was uh, a season where they missed out on the top six via for and against, and it was one where they proved their mettle with uh, a couple of big wins against uh, the top teams, and maybe just the odd uh, game. Uh, there was a, a match against the Steelers that they ended up uh, having a draw uh, with, which was, I think, reasonably early in the season from recollection. And that probably ended up being the difference between them being in the finals and not in the finals. So, um, yeah, and, and as you mentioned, and there was even crazy, um, even crazy, so many players even, unavailable. Even crazier, you mentioned that draw, which 100% was what the difference was between them making the final spot in the, in the finals or not. Guess which team would go on to play in the grand final? Yeah, the yeah. It's uh, like just, just crazy, those little butterfly effects that ripple throughout the season. Uh, the boys had every opportunity in that game to win it, but just couldn't. Ended up squeezing out the draw. And, and yeah, it's a little bit what could have been, but uh, I really want to give them a shout-out for battling through some pretty adverse conditions, given that they were fielding... Uh, I mean, it, it opened up opportunities for other players, but once again, when you're prioritising NRL development, that's what happens. Yeah, but as you mentioned, it does open up opportunities when players who would be a walk-in start to the under-19s team, uh, all of a sudden they're playing NRL this year or they're playing New South Wales Cup or they're playing Jersey Flag. So it's um yeah, it does it does give those opportunities and in in those sorts of instances it, it means that maybe there were some players that might have slipped through the cracks that are able to announce themselves as being worthy of keeping within the club for the pathways. I also like to give a thanks to Craig Brennan, the coach of the SG ball team and much like we had the opportunity with through Steve O'Day to be involved in the Eels grand final week in the Harold Mats, uh, Craig involved us with the opening round and the jersey presentation and uh, the uh, the pre-match uh, video preview of the uh, of the opposition in the in the first round, the Manly Seagulls. Uh, we got to sit through that the. Uh, basically the tip sheet that he was going through. It was a tremendous insight into the preparation that the team goes through and the and the detail to which the coaches uh, prepare them for matches. And I must say, mate, knowing that um, we've seen something that I, I suppose only, only players and staff get to share with, it, it was a really great experience for us. Yeah, you, you cannot overstate just how accommodating they were of TCT this year and such incredible insight into the process that goes by. And people, you know, think junior football and they think, yeah, the, the kids train a couple of times a week and then go and, you know, just try and play their best. There is just so much preparation that goes into this. This is not train twice a week, go play some football on the weekend and, and you know, you win or you lose. These these men, the all the auxiliary staff, the coach, the trainers, they are putting in hours and hours of prep work to analyse the opponent, to scout the team themselves and find out where they need to improve. And it is really eye-opening to see how much go, of that work goes into a given week, wasn't it? 
it was. And, you know, the, the interesting thing was when we were watching the match unfold, it unfolded in exactly the same way that uh, Craig Brennan predicted in that first round. So um, the, the challenges were what he predicted the challenges would be. Um, the ha- the tactics that the Manly team would resort to be, were exactly what he predicted them to be. It was it was quite unique being able to uh, watch that prep, watch the watch the the video in in that prep, and then to see the game unfold. Indeed. So I let off with my awards. Um, I'll continue this time with with me too, and I'll throw you to Tashigal to lead off to mix things up. But for the MVP, I thought this man was a standout. I've already mentioned his name. He captained the team. He was absolutely brutal in defense and dynamic with the ball in hand. And I, I really couldn't go past Peter Tatio as our MVP in the SG ball, mate. Mate, here we're on, again, we're back on the same wavelength because I've also gone with Peter. He, he was certainly that go-to man, that, that set play that they had where they'd have Peter charging in behind the ruck to a unsuspecting defence, and you say unsuspecting, <laughs> they probably had it all there in their in their um, match preview. The oppositions with their their notes and their video re, uh, preview of the of the game and what Parramatta were going to throw at them, but they didn't. That didn't help those teams because it seemed like every time the Eels went for that play, it caused damage. And you mentioned that Peter was the leading try scorer, and that's that's basically why it was a pet play of theirs. So, Peter, the unanimous MVP, which is always cool to see. But uh, moving on to the best back. And uh, once again, I've already caught his name out here. And I thought that Josh Chappell was just the pillar of consistency for the boys uh, at halfback. Had a great kicking game. Uh, worked really, really hard and, and ended up getting a call up into the jersey flag because of it later in the year. Um, and, yeah, so I went with uh, Josh for my best back. Well, mate, we're looking at different players in this case. I've gone with uh, Jabriel Kalashi. Is, am I pronouncing that correct, uh, Kalashi? J- Jabriel, I'm not sure if it's uh, uh, Kalache or, or, or Kalashi, so apologies, Jabriel. Um, but yes, that is a, a very good pick, and, and I dare say he'll feature in my awards shortly. Yeah, well, the reason that I've gone with uh, Jabriel is that he was also asked to play a number of positions, and he, to me, he was just as effective out in the centres as he was in the 5'8 position, mm-hmm. he was hard to hold for uh, in his running game. Uh, he was yeah, really seemed to develop that running game through the through the season, and then of course was called up for matches in Jersey Flag once the SG Ball season concluded. So I, I thought he was outstanding out in the back line. Yep, um, a very worthy pick there. Moving on to best forward, and if uh, Peter Tateo was. Lights out as that back row. I thought in the front row, he was complimented fantastically by the big hyphen, Jonte Jr. Beth and Mesa, um, my best forward in the team, and a guy with a big work rate, some big impact, uh, and he's a, another one that went on to play Jersey Flag in 2021 with, you know, obviously SG Ball eligibility, so a big credit to him there, and I'm really looking forward to what Jonte can go on to do next year. Mate, I, I found it hard to leave out Jonte, but when we're talking about forwards in this case, I've gone big. So when I say I've gone a big forward, can you guess who that would be? Uh, there, there are some big boppers in there. Uh, gosh, uh, I mean, I've got a soft spot for Larry, so I don't know if you've Well, got... you've just named him. <laughs> Larry Muaga Tutia. Yeah, i got a big soft spot for Larry. He is a quality front rower. So Eels well served by both their bookends there. 
Um, and, and the other one that we probably should mention there too, and maybe you're going to mention him in your spotlight award, but Brock Parker was another outstanding prop forward in the SG ball too. So they had a few pillars through the middle for the Eels there and all three of them uh, could have been worthy of a nomination. Yeah, and but I, I've gone for, for Larry because, again, he was one of those players that I thought really developed as the season went on and uh, reflected in being another one of those SG ball players that was elevated to Jersey flag once the season had ended. Yep, excellent call, mate. So uh, no no disagreements for me, just a difference of opinion there on a, on a very razor-fine margin, which now brings us to our Spotlight Award, the uh, 60 Spotlight Award. I went for Jabril here. Um, could have easily been the best back too, but I went for Jabril as my player to watch. He is just such a, a great young talent. He's got that prototypical size and athleticism that you love about a modern outside back. He's got the versatility to play across the back line. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up in the back row at some point just because he could be, end up that big. He seems to get taller and, and more fixed set every time I see him play. Uh, but he was dynamic, and I think he's going to be a real player to watch in 2022. Mate, I, I really thought there was a lot of quality in the forwards in the SG ball this season. And as such, I've nominated Jock Brazel. Mm-hmm. as my 60 Spotlight Award. Jock has just recently been named in the Australian Schoolboys Merit Team. He was required to play out in the centres when there was a, a, a dearth of outside backs earlier in the year, and I, I thought he was he accepted that position with um, uh, great enthusiasm when it's you know outside of the normal comfort zone. And, um, yeah, I, I just think he's a, a real workaholic back rower and um, it, it's been a great reward for him being named in the Australian Schoolboys Merit Team and I'm looking forward to watching Jock run around again uh, this uh, upcoming season. No, good call, mate. And that wraps up the SG Ball. Uh, very much a development year for the blue chip guys that weren't playing and the development year for the guys that did play, which now have put them in a position to perhaps uh, take a big step forwards in 2022. So look forward to that. Uh, and we, we have seen the SG Ball squad named, actually, which a bit of a spoiler for our next podcast, and it's going to be a good one, I think. So looking forward to that. But that brings us to the, or brings us to the final junior representative squad of 2021, that being Natasha Gale, of course. Uh, a bit of a mixed year for the girls. They end up, it's funny to look at it, they end up running second last on the ladder, uh, eight of 19s, but they barely miss out in the finals by just one win uh, up against the Cronulla Sharks. They had a chance late in the season. They were, sort of had turned the corner, I think it was fair to say, mate, started getting a lot of a, a string of either close results or good wins late in the year and, and just couldn't quite bring it home uh, in those final handful of games. But it's definitely something they're going to learn from. A couple of real standouts in this grade, though. Um, I'm going to let you lead off with your your picks this time around. But I'm, I'm looking forward to... I think there's going to be a couple of obvious picks and then there's going to be a couple of interesting picks. So Team MVP, um, I'll hear from you, but I'm fairly certain I know who it is ahead of time. Well, my team MVP goes to the captain, which is Osalio Cedar Payne. Uh, made the New South Wales City team at the end of the season. I thought she was just the um, she was the rock on which the forwards game was based, and I think it's fair to say that the Eels uh, Tasha Gale team had a very strong pack of forwards, and she was the leader out there. And the reason I didn't mention the top point scorer, the top try scorer in the lead-up to the MVP announcement, as I did for the other two grades, is because none other than Lasalle Sidipane was both. Six tries and 24 points would uh, lead the team in both categories. She was a monster. Uh, uh, 
a fair bit of junior Paula to her game, actually, I think. Just uh, very good on her feet, despite being so powerful and then such physical presence. Huge engine. We had games this year where she would be going well over 200 metres and making 30-plus tackles. I remember there was a podcast with Joey after they played out west at Camden, I think, and she'd, she'd gone for like 250 metres, scored two tries and made a whole bunch of tackles. Just absolutely mammoth impact and production. Uh, real, real star player. And I look forward to her being perhaps the, uh, not just the first, but perhaps one of the brightest stars to progress from our Tarshigal pathway through to the NRLW in the future. Yeah, and just really passionate about her football as well. We, yeah. we, we've seen her on uh, on the sidelines when we've been commentating. Oh. And just, uh, yeah, as I said, just really passionate about about her game and the and, and their teammates. I, I don't think you, you'll see a player uh, that was more invested in her team for success and, and have a player that the losses hurt so much personally. She took every loss they had this year as an as a insult against her, you know, and, and wanting to lift the team up and be better. So absolute star player, very worthy, uh, most valuable player for the team. And like I said, we really, really look forward to seeing how her career progresses in the blue and gold which then leads us to our best back. And this is a funny one, mate, because as you mentioned, the Eels were very much a, a sort of old-school throwback team, big, powerful forwards playing it through the middle, which meant that the the feature opportunities for the backs were probably a little bit fewer and far between, which means that picking one was a little bit tougher. But I'm interested to hear who you went for your best back of 2021. Well, look, there was a lot of uh, chopping and changing with some of the backs. And the player that I've selected is... It was someone who was probably one of the more consistent to feature out in the back line, um, was a try scorer, uh, played a bit of uh, edge in the back row as well, and that's Talisha Pugh. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go past her as, as my uh, best back for the uh, for the team. And we're going to end up with a two for two now because Talisha was my pick. Um, I thought that she was the most dangerous player in our back line. She was... Uh, Playing down that left edge at times, she looked really threatening fairly ball, had some nice footwork, a good fend. Um, I think that she can be a player that really kicks on uh, with opportunities. So, yeah, she went down as my best back as well. And then we move on to best forward. And I'll probably spoil this one a little bit for you, but I dare say Lasalia Sitter-Payne had a running mate that was very, very effective in the uh, that play style that we're talking about with our forwards being dominant. But uh, I'm not sure if you've picked her, but this is who I'm going to go with when after you make your announcement. Well... Okay, you've gone the spoiler there because it's Ruby Jean <laughs> Kennard that I've come up with there. And again, you, you mentioned running mate. Well, she she was also a running mate when it came to the New South Wales City team mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Australian Championships at the end of the season. So uh, where where Lasalio went, you'd also see uh, Ruby Jean uh, alongside her carting that ball up, creating havoc through the middle of the field. Impossible to go past her. And we already made the uh, Junior Paula comp for Sitter Payne, but there was a little bit of reg RCG about Ruby John. Uh, Sitter, uh, that sort of, not not compact, she wasn't short, but that real powerful, uh, stockier build, which you love to see in the front row. And, and John uh, Jean Kennard, a little bit taller and rangier, but uh, no less the danger in the red zone. She scored a number of tries uh, behind Sitter Payne and was dynamic with the ball in hand. And yeah, two absolute pillars in the forward pack there. So worthy pick for best forward. Which then brings us up to our final award, and that's obviously the Spotlight Award. I'm curious to see who you go through, go for here, mate, because uh, a lot of uh, the, the two prop forwards were very dominant. Uh, Talisha was obviously our pick in the back line, 
And uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear who your play the watch is for the 2021 season, 2022 season. Goodness. Yeah. So my player to watch, um, I, I've got a player to watch, and then I've actually got a second player to Ooh. watch. So my my player to watch is Summer Terare, oh. who I thought was uh, very very uh, effective in the back row. She was also uh, took on some of the goal kicking duties mm-hmm. this year. And uh, I know there was, a, a, I think, a, a game down in uh, Canberra where they came back from behind to, to get a draw. She had a, a couple of kicks under, under great pressure there to convert to ensure that they were able to uh, draw with Canberra. So uh, Summer's going to be running around again next year. And I think she's a, a player to watch in the uh, Tasha Gale. And I also want to give a mention to a player who got an injury. And... She was literally in, I think, her second game in the in the team. It might have even been her first starting performance, and she just caught the eye as being someone who um, could develop into a very good back rower, and that was Quinn McVeigh. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I after after her performance, where where I uh, it just yeah caught my attention her performance. I, and it was in a losing side. I think it might have even been against the Steelers. I believe, got, I believe it was against got, the Steelers, yep. Yeah, they got beaten in that game. And yep. unfortunately, she got a, an elbow injury, I think, from Correct. from recollection. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember just big, going on about how strongly she performed in a yep. beaten team and just her, um, just her work ethic. So I wanted to give her a, a bit of a mention as well. I I I couldn't put it in the running for the awards because a lack of game time. It was so few, so few games. Yeah, but she's definitely going to be one and uh, one to watch. And I, I noted as well that she's listed in the uh, Tasha Gale squad going into next year as well. So again, a, a, another p- player who was uh, playing, let's say it was up in age a little bit, and um, yeah, one to watch. It's funny after significant divergence. Across our first two grade, oh, grades, sorry, competitions or grades in the mats and the ball, we are in perfect alignment here. Sitter uh, Payne MVP, Ruby Jean Kennard, forward, uh, best forward, Talisha Pugh, best back. And then I went with Summer. Uh, Summer Tarare is my spotlight player. And then with her honorable mention for Quinn as well. So really, really interesting to see how that played out there. Um, and this is another grade where we're expecting the Eels to really start to make big steps forwards. We've already been profiling the uh, progress of female participation and, and the competitions in the junior represent the junior reps or sorry the junior district rather than the junior reps uh, with our Paris Stories uh, series and we're seeing how all these local clubs are just coming to the table and and seeing an absolute explosion in the growth and I think that the Eels will look to add some speed and and finesse to this team that were built so formidably through the middle and try and find that blend in twenty twenty two. Absolutely. So that's all the uh, junior rep programs done, mate. We're going to move on to the three senior grades now, starting with the Jersey flag, who got bumped from under-20s to under-21s in season 2021, kind of fitting right there, eh? Uh, year 21, under-21s. And um, yep. <laughs> Synchronous, isn't that? Would, it be, would there be some synchronicity about that? Yeah, that just uh, I, I obviously not intentional, but pretty cool, a little bit of uh, synchronicity there as the uh, lost year was uh, accommodated for in the flag as well. Much like the, it's it's funny because we said if the SG bore, they were perhaps you know robbed in inverted commas of some of their best talent 
due to player development and the same thing. And even though the Jersey flag contributed to that, the flag itself was also robbed of some of their best eligible talent. Uh, the same guys that would go on to play Cup and NRL. You know, we're talking about the Will Penasinis, the Jake Arthurs, uh, the Sean Russells, uh, Samuel Loizu, uh, a whole raft of guys that you know would have been huge difference makers in this age group were largely absent, if not entirely absent, leading to a, a, a relatively tough year for the boys. They finished 8th out of 10th after a COVID-shortened season. It was 15 rounds of play. Um, and yeah, so unfortunately in a 10-team competition, they did finish 8th. Uh, but like I said, hampered by a lack of their elite talent, uh, which meant that you know it was a localised short-term pain in the flag for long-term game for the Eels, which is what you do want to see. Uh, top point scorer for the Blonde Gold in the flag was Kyle Schneider, who uh, kicked 22 conversions for 44 points, no tries added. The top try scorer, Jaden Yates, the uh, sort of hybrid utility back row slash dummy half slash captain uh, with seven tries. And it shouldn't come as a surprise then, mate, that Jaden, who we do have a high opinion of, he is tough as teak and never has a bad game, I reckon, was my MVP for the flag. Well, mate, I've gone for the same player as well for uh, player of the year. He's... He's a player that I think might have a bit of uh, a future there at the club because, as you mentioned, he he's a bit of a utility. He, he can cover dummy half. He can cover back row or lock. He's tough as as you can get. Like it is, and it's not just defensively that he's tough. He's you mentioned there that he scored seven tries this season. He. He's got this knack of once you get down to the opposition's try line that his darts when he's filling in at dummy half seem to be timed to perfection. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so, yeah, I've I've nominated him as my as my player of the year. And and really, it, he was prob- he was probably one of the players that uh, was a regular in the team as well. Like there was a lot there of was, chopping and changing. Lot, yeah. A lot of rotation between injury and, and selection and other grades this year for the flag. Yeah. And I, and I think that consistency of appearance helped with his consistency of performance. Yeah. Jaden, absolute rock for the, the team this year and a guy that's going to be intriguing the follow on 2022, because we've seen, you know, not just in the NRL, but the Eels too, the value of a hybrid back rower has been on the rise for a number of seasons. And this year we saw someone like Ray Stone start to carve out a really interesting niche in the uh, first grade squad. So there's definitely a pathway there for Yates if he can just keep polishing you know, the the utility aspect of his game and be able to deliver consistent service from dummy half. And if he can keep scoring out of dummy half, that makes him even that much more intriguing. Well, mate, I, I haven't seen any lists of... Uh, pre-seasons, uh, like the people who are doing a, a, an NRL pre-season or, or people that are going to get development contracts or anything like that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip Jaden Yates to do an NRL pre-season. I, I just have that feeling that he's at that stage and I think he might have impressed enough people that he'd at the very least be called up to do a pre-season. That's the 60 shout-out right there. Now let's move on to best back. And we mentioned that the sort of turnstile nature, the the high rotation nature of the team made it difficult for them to get consistent results. And nowhere was that more present than in the back line, mate. They had a lot of churn this year between promotions, between injuries, just all these different factors, you know, form across the back line as well. They had so many players come in and go out and it was hard to find just, you know, two or three players that played consistently throughout the entire season. Uh, 
I looked through and I, I found a couple of guys who were there consistently who I felt made an impact. And I ended up picking Tavita Massima as my best back in 2021. Okay, well, I, I, that's obviously something that I looked at as well in terms of um, consistent appearance, um, consistent performance, and for that reason, I've gone to the uh, centre position and I've selected Jaden Skinner. He was my uh, yeah, very very close runner up. The, those two were the most omnipresent across the entire season, and yeah, where whereas Jaden was probably the pillar of consistency. I think Massima probably flashed a little bit more, but perhaps also had a few more struggles. But yeah, I think both were the the obvious two picks among the entire you know collection of outside backs we used this year. Now I I just I've got it in the in the back of my mind about Jaden. Has he played back row as well? I believe he was a back rower prior to twenty twenty one. Yeah, I'm pretty certain. He's yeah, yeah, because that's 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 my recollection was him as a back row. Look, I could be wrong. Um, because I, I'm saying this entirely off the top of my head in terms of my recollection of him uh, in previous years, but uh, he's just a, a very, very consistent performer out there in the centres. And in a in a team where there was a lot of chopping and changing to the back line, uh, and particularly uh, at halves in the halves and at fullback, and so we're we're talking about the spine there. Um, he's He's having to look at um, those sort of combinations in attack and and defence around him that are changing. But I, I thought he was very very consistent in his own performance. So that's why I've gone for him as the best back. And that's a fair fair summation of it, mate. Moving on to best forward, and this one there was a number of interesting picks because we had guys like Luke Bain come in uh, sort of early mid season and, and start making a difference, but. There's a number of other guys who are also writing in contention, but I went for one that was a, a preseason standout, uh, one that was a mid-season, like, you know, actual season standout, and a guy that I really hope can kick on in 2022 and become a potential NRL prospect, and that was Atasi James. He was just so dominant at times for me, looked like a man amongst boys. Yeah, and um, I've gone for a different player, but for similar reasons. Um, I've gone for Caleb Toey. Because when when he was he, he had a mixture of starting games or coming off the bench, but when he hit the field, there'd be action aplenty mm. around his carries. Dynamic, he, yeah, yeah, absolute dynamic in his carries. A lot of defenses had a lot of trouble uh, pulling him down. So it was, and that, um, was, that was built on the NRL Schoolboys campaign as well. He came into that flag season on after a real dominant showing. Uh, as almost like the the lone hero for his team, he played out at a uh, what 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 school was he at? Not Westfield, was it? It was um he got his team right through to the grand final or semi finals in the NRL Scores Cup before just falling short. Yeah, well, he's a look. He's a I know his club football is uh, the uh, the Kenley Vale Cookers, uh, but the um, he he did a he did the NRL preseason as well, so. Um, you could you could just see the benefit that he had as well with that preseason under his belt, and yeah, uh, he's just as a ball runner, he's just dynamic, and it'll be interesting to see his development. I, I'd I'll tip him to do uh, another preseason NRL preseason this year. I think he's a player that has that potential. Look, he. 
with the the changing nature of the of the lock position in the NRL, and you've you've got the really mobile sort of lock forward um, slash middle uh, player, and uh, yeah, he could be a point of difference for um, the the team coming through. So um, yeah, I, I've nominated him as my best forward. And you, you preempted me because I gave my best forward to Tarsi James, who I thought was just physically so dominant in this grade. But my spotlight player, and this was an easy one to pick for me, even perhaps elevating above the one of the best positional awards because I felt like Caleb was just such a shoe-in for this one as a future pick to look out for. So dynamic. Uh, plenty of energy in defense too, it's worth mentioning as well. He isn't just a born hand, flashy kind of player that shirks the defensive side of the game. Uh, he is electric on, you know, where it's midfield, where it's a red zone. There is just a way he carries the ball and, and his movements pre-contact that make defend, uh, defenders really struggle to bring him down. He just finds an, he has a knack for like finding the gap as well. The the only, you know, downside for Caleb so far is that he got banged up a little bit in 2021. I think he broke his hand um, in the preseason. I think he might have done another hand in the season as well. Uh, he is just so exciting when he is healthy, and I really, really look forward to what he can contribute in 2022 and beyond. Well, mate, we've just flipped those awards between us. Because <laughs> Which I figured might happen. Yeah, those, is a Tarzi James. Yeah, they're, they're both just... And, and for all the reasons that you mentioned, and and it was interesting because I thought it was a real challenge for the players like a Tarzi who were alternating between the New South Wales Cup and uh, the Jersey flag because it meant that oh, I just felt that when when you had a couple of those players who were in that sort of position, um, Dave Hollis was yep. in that in that situation. Um, Samuel you Rose had as well. uh, Matt Komalafi, yep. uh, Solomoni Naiduki, um, and uh, and and we also had. Uh, uh, Samuel Lu- Luizio, who um, who got a, a, a couple of games up there in the New South Wales Cup, and I just thought it was really challenging for those players because to showcase your consistency when you're playing alongside different players is is really difficult. But the thing about a Atazi is much like Caleb is the impact of the carries was always evident with Atazi. And I thought his impact was was maybe not quite as strong, but it was still noticeable when he went up to New South Wales Cup. But certainly in the uh, in the Jersey flag, if he had have spent the, the season just there, it, it would have been interesting to... Uh, if, if they had have had their access to all of the players that were eligible to play Jersey flag, it would have been interesting. Yeah, as it was, much like the SG Boar, uh, a lot of other guys given a chance to you know develop in flag instead. And we, speaking of the ball, we saw a whole raft of ball players come up into that grade. Uh, we already meant you know, in the shout outs for the awards. You know, we mentioned Peter Tateo, Jonte Junior, Bethan Mesa, Josh Chapel, Jabril Kalache. Uh, all those guys played plenty of ball, uh, plenty of flag as well. Um, plus, didn't uh, Brock Parker? Did, did Brock, Brock get a try? Brock, Brock Parker Is scored it- a try on debut. Yep. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, there was a whole string of guys even beyond that. Uh, Larry got up there and, and played yeah, Larry the flag did, as well. Yep, yep. Uh, so the whole ton of kids are going to be better off. I say kids, young men, they're absolute units. 
uh, they're going to be better off for that run and, and perhaps that little bit of adversity they face too might make them that much hungrier for the 2022 season. So, yeah, looking forward to the flag team being announced later this week. I expect to see a few surprises as well there um, with all the young talent they've got. Um, so it'd be uh, very interesting to see how they name and how they once again prioritise development as what we saw this year where, you know, uh, the junior reps were perhaps less important to the long-term health of the club. So that means that flag and cup were the priorities. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a philosophy I disagree with. You want these guys, you know, being NRL already and that's the best way of doing it. So a little bit of short-term pain in those uh, lower grades or juniors, meaning uh, towards, you know, that NRL dream of a premiership. That brings us to the New South Wales Cup and what might actually be my favourite grade this year. I mean, I loved what we had in the NRL, don't get me wrong. We, we went into the finals and had some absolute standouts, but I don't think any grade was as fun as the New South Wales Cup the following, mate. This was a, a bunch of... Uh, young kids, uh, walk-up signings from the street, you know, they just sort of came together, they they punched above their weight from round one and just wouldn't stop with the metaphorical pugilism. They were just smacking teams around all year. They were incredi- incredibly fun. I think I, I had them down for a staggering eight NRL debuts from the group that they uh, had together that year, maybe even more. I might have missed someone. Um, but they finished second when the competition finished due to COVID at the end of round 15 with an excellent and outstanding 9-4 and four record. Uh, they were just, like I said, uh, Ryan Carr and that entire group of players, you know, the, the couple of old heads they had there in Jordan Rankin and, and Makahesi Makatoa just balanced across a, a whole ton of young kids, whether they were blue-chip prospects that we've already mentioned, like, you know, Will Penasini and Jake Arthur and Sean Russell, or walk-up starters off the street like Kai Rodwell or uh, Ellie Elskaham. Uh, they just were so, so fun to watch. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely not. And I get to kick off this time, don't I? With yes, the, you get the, you my get the MVP. I will. I will preempt you just quickly. Uh, top try scorer for the Eels in the New South Wales Cup was Sean Russell, who scored eight tries. But the top point scorer, and no shock, we're back to sort of uh, regular broadcast here. It was one of the halves, Jordan Rankin, who kicked out to I think it was second most in the competition, 118 points with four tries and 51 assorted conversions off the tee. So that's the uh, the two uh, individual gongs there. But I'm going to let you lead off here because, yeah, you had to put up with me leading off to the flag. Um, let's go with your MVP in the reserve grade competition and knock-on effect New South Wales Cup. I don't think it's any surprise here that my uh, selection there is Makahesi Makatoa. Just to just to run through some stats, and I have I have put this up before. That's in, right, had a, had a fantastic uh, in, post. That's something in the like. post, yep. But he's, he's had... Uh, 2,273 running metres, which put him at the top of the competition. He had 963 post-contact metres. Um, he was also top in the New South Wales Cup for decoy runs and player in support runs. Um, uh, it was just an outstanding season, which was rightly rewarded with his NRL debut at 28 years of age. So uh, impossible to go past him as as the MVP, as the player of the year. Yeah, I think you'd be blind and deaf to have to not pick Macker. And I, I do recall, I think I've brought this up before, we had the opportunity at the start of 2020 to have a chat to Ryan Carr as he made his uh, pre-season debut as a coach out at Ringrose Park. And you know, Ryan was a, a lovely bloke to talk to, obviously you know, a great student of the game. And he mentioned that you know he brought Macker Hesse with him uh, from his previous club and he gave him a, a big rap, said that this is a guy that's going to look after the young kids in this team back in 2020 and, and really lead the way. And, geez, he wasn't telling any fibs, was he, mate? 
No, no, he, he's he did exactly the job that he was asked to do, and that's probably the thing about Macahessi is I would imagine that the coach Ryan Carr's given him his instructions, and he just goes out there and follows it to a T, and, and that, that's based on that just being a, an absolute worker. And I love that he gets his opportunity in the NRL, and he just dials up the aggression. There were some big hits uh, when he played against the Penrith Panthers. He, you know, didn't didn't dilute the quality of his work with the ball in hand. Was always getting up near ten meters to carry um, with a good work rate off the bench, and even and, and even just adapting to that bench role after being a starter all year, where he was pumping out insane numbers. The fact that he was able to be a quality contributor in a limited role speaks towards that idea that once again he just adapts to the game plan. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, we're going to move on to best back here, and before I let you reveal your uh, winner here, I do want to mention that we did put a qualifier on our awards in that if a player won any given individual award, we'd make them ineligible for another award. Uh, that way we didn't have guys you know, doubling down. So going back to the uh, SG Ball, Peter Tatio, lock forward, MVP, or best player of the year, also doesn't get best forward. And that, that plays true here, I believe, with the best back because – uh, there was a, a young kid that obviously went on to start in the NRL at the back end of the season that probably could have gotten this award from either of us, but because he probably features later on in the list, spoilers, uh, we did look elsewhere, I think, 60s. Yeah, yeah. So I've gone for uh, Jake Arthur as my best back. Yep. It was uh, it was a fairly tight contest because um, it, it could have easily gone to uh, a number of players, even... Um, and especially Jordan Rankin with his form at halfback. Um, uh, sorry, at 5'8". At um, but with um, with Jake, he scored seven tries. He sat in eighth place in the New South Wales Cup for uh, for try assists with eight from, uh, from ten games. Um, and his seven line break assists put him in tenth place um, for, for line break assists in, in the New South Wales Cup. Um, and also he was uh, placed fifth with his kick metres, which was um, over 2,500 kick metres, 2,662, at an average of 266 metres per game. So I just thought what what gave him the edge in the halves over Jordan Rankin for mine was, first of all, his try scoring uh, with those seven tries, which put him equal second in the uh, Eels team. And then, uh, of course, he went on to make his NRL debut and score tries in the NRL. So that just edged him ahead for mine. Yeah, and I did go with Jake as well. I pumped for the uh, son of Brad as my best back too. And I think it's worth mentioning that you, you want to qualify this selection with the fact that a lot of fans in the NRL sort of uh, had their opinions coloured or discoloured of Jake because he came through and, and played in a really tough time for us. And, you know, he, he struggled in a team that was struggling, right? And I, I, as a very young kid as well. So I don't think that's a reflection of who he's going to be and, and what sort of player he's going to come out to be, which brings me back to the New South Wales Cup, where you mentioned all those stats, which, you know, support your argument, which I already agree with. But the other thing that really jumped out to me was just on the eye test. Uh, he, he looked very comfortable in the New South Wales Cup. He definitely grew as the season went on. And even in the course of games, you'd often see him in the first half, sort of going going by the script, so I'm sort of softening up, sorting uh, sorting out what the opposition are playing, and then at halftime he'd make the adjustments and he'd take on the line more. He'd start threatening with the ball in hand, and you know the opposition has often struggled to keep up with him. So I thought that he was taking great steps in the cup, and in an ideal world he probably doesn't have to play as much in a row 
this year as he had to because of the Mitchell Moses injury and and whatnot. But well, yeah, I was just going to say um, it's just that that game management that he had and um, and what he was able to do because what people don't realise is that um, players like like Jake and and look the other the other young blokes like like uh, Will and Sean um, were in the same boat where and 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 also their peers where there was no under twenty under 20s competition yeah. last year they got one round exactly so they, they lost the entire year and have had to adapt to senior grade football from that so it's that's a, it that's it, it. they they basically gone from schoolboys football straight up to uh senior football and uh the thing that probably impressed with jake was that he was playing the games at his pace what i mean by that he was determining what what pace he wanted to play at. And he had so many opportunities. Uh, he created so many opportunities where it, there was just seemed to be time around him. And the other one, the other, there was an, there was an important um, play that he made that probably didn't get as much recognition at the time. But, and I can't remember who they were playing, but um, the, there was a breakaway try that was scored by, uh, by this team. And Jake was the only one that chased and he chased the, I think it was, might have been the winger from the opposite team. And he kept him right in the corner. Might, have been, might have been the, the Mounties the first time we played them, I believe. I could be wrong about that, though. Or, or maybe the Bulldogs, uh, I can't remember. Yeah, whatever it was, I think the uh, the Eels had a, had a reasonable lead at this stage. Anyway, from memory, I think the game came down to being a two-point game. And that chase that he put on to keep the player in the corner meant that the conversion was missed. And it ended up probably being the, the that would, that would game. Been, that would have been the Magpies then, when we walked into yeah. the stadium together and, and I think Ferguson was playing at the time. And I think he made the tackle down the sideline that we sit, the uh, uh, not the Fournette stand, the uh, Cronin stand. So, yeah, that might have been that game there because he, he would have chased and kept in the side in the corner. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it was. Um, I mean, that was just a really big play, and, and you'd probably find that a lot of players uh, might have given up in the chase because it was it was a breakaway try. Um, I can't remember whether it was an intercept or a drop ball or whatever, but we were right on the attack about ten meters out, and then they swooped on the ball and just took off for the try, and it was a try against the run of play. But if the if the player had been allowed to get around behind the post, it probably would have been a different outcome come the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so just. Just moments like that where you go, you know what, this this kid, uh, not only has he got uh, the uh, skills, but he, he's a competitor. Yeah, and, and Jake's going to continue to grow into that rangy frame now, which is where he, once he fills out, you start seeing some of those younger halves really take a step forward. So keen to see how that goes for him as he you know plugs away on the, uh, the diet and gym side of things, and I think he'll come back a better player in 2022. Moving yeah. on to probably one of the most divisive awards amongst all of the, uh, or most difficult awards amongst all the ones we've handed out, mate. Makahesi Makatoa, the unanimous MVP, the unanimous best player of the cup team for us. The best forward spot, this is competitive. Uh, I I struggled over this, and I feel that we we might end up with the same player, we might end up with different ones, but it'll be a case of, yeah, well, that guy could have got it as well. Yeah, okay, let's, let's see. We've... I'll go first as usual mm-hmm. uh, for this one, and uh, I've ex- I've nominated the back rower Ellie Elzakim. I knew you would. I knew you would. I, I was doing this list up, and I'm like, I reckon Sixes is going to go for Elzakim because he was outstanding this year, and I, I might go somewhere different because of that. 
Like that was my thought process because yeah, Elsgham was outstanding. I'm I'm going to let you pump up his tyres, mate, because he was very very good for us on the edges. Yeah, he was very good, and uh, he's his post contact meters uh, put him uh, equal ninth in the in the cup. Um, he led the offloads for the Eels, and also the the tackle count uh, in the in the New South Wales Cup. He was just he was outstanding on the edges. He's a player that um, is going to be another tip of mine to do uh, at the very least a preseason. Um, I'd like to see him get a development contract. I'm not sure what the what what's going to happen there, but uh, I think he has an NRL future, and I think that's a credit to him because he's been a player that's bounced around to a few clubs in his pathways years. And I'd like to think he's found a home at the Eels and his form last year indicated that he is, uh, well, sorry, not last year, this this past yeah. season <laughs> yeah. indicated that he is a player that I think is capable of playing NRL. Yeah, uh, Elsgaham was outstanding. Great young kid as well. One of, the, one of those guys you really cheer for to succeed. Um, and, and he just opened up a lot of stuff for us down that edge with a really you know great late offload and the ability to just break a tackle and run that right line. So looking forward to seeing how he can kick on. Um, and as I go to my announcement of the, the player I picked, you know, the, it's worth mentioning again that this was a, a team that, you know, we had guys like Wiramu Greg who came across and was, he didn't have the preseason for us, which means he wasn't Parramatta fit. He was, you know, Cowboys fit, which we've seen makes a difference. And despite that, Greg was, you know, outstanding and, and put in really, really big. And you could see him growing as the season went on. He went real close to getting my, uh, my shout out here. But I went with a guy that actually wasn't on the team in round one. Um, and we saw him end up making an NRL debut at the end of the season because of the work he put in, and that was Kai Rodwell. Um, literally a, a street-free agent for us. He came in round two uh, and just forced his way into the starting team. Great hit and spin near the line, great work rate, all, consistently up over 100 metres every game with quality tackles. And, and yeah, Kai was just such a cool story to, uh, to follow, much like Elsgerham as, as well. You know, seeing these guys that were, you know, sort of, not not after thoughts or anything like that, but like you know, just long shot project players they picked up and they just bought in completely to our system and in, in, into our way of playing football. And mate, you've you've preempted me because uh, my sixty spotlight player to watch is Kai Rodwell. Yeah, but all of the season, all of the reasons that you just mentioned there, and um, that debut where I'm trying to think how many tackles he made, but he was up near the top of the tackle count was, for that short period of time. Mid, mid-high 30s, I'm fairly certain. He got he got through a ton of work. Yeah, and I believe that he, he might have even picked up an injury in in the first tackle of the game and, and, and played played wounded for the rest of his time out there on the field. It was it was a great performance. It was something that didn't surprise us from what we'd seen with um, his efforts during the uh, New South Wales Cup season. He was... In, in the uh, you mentioned that he didn't start the year with us, but he still managed to finish ninth in the New South Wales Cup for post contact meters, and equal second for decoy runs. Now, you, if you're if you're running those decoy runs, you're not getting any glory for that. That's you're not getting credited with the hit up or, or run meters or what have you. But you're still running like as if you're going to be hit, as if the ball's going to come to you and you're going to cop hits where maybe you're not quite braced for that in those decoy runs. So 
um, it, just again another one of those players with a strong work ethic. I really think the Eels are, are very well served for middle forwards coming through because you you mentioned Wiramu Greg. Um, uh, we we've also got Dave Hollis, mm-hmm. who 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 spent a bit of time either in a bouncing between New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag this season. Uh, mm-hmm. He's in the top thirty, so he's going to feature again next year. And he's got a he, he's only a, a young bloke with a big future as well. Uh, Macahessey, um, it, it's just yeah, it, it's just a, an area where there's plenty of depth within the club and. Um, and I guess with a lot of those players that there's that uh, capacity for them to be playing either prop or, or that lock position, depending on how you decide to fill it. Um, and really, when you looked at the end of the in the finals and um, Oregon Kafusi couldn't force his way into the team and Makahesi, who had been consistent, couldn't find it, they couldn't. BA couldn't find a spot in the team for him. You just look at that and you go, "Wow, there's some there's some forward depth within the Eels." So um, yeah, I I was very close to naming Elskaham as my player to watch. Um, he was that good, and and like I said, so fun to see a guy come in and exceed expectations the way that he did. I ended up going for a back, and there was a couple of backs I could have gone to. I want to give a shout out to Solomon Naduki, who I fought made huge strides just as the season got shut down. He was really uh, starting to dominate on that flank, and I, I am keen to see if he can kick on from there next year. But I went with Sean Russell, who, fullback by trade, uh, by far his preferred position, but with Quentin Gufferson at the club, you know, team NRL captain and you know representative caliber player, his pathway is somewhat blocked there. So he adapted and, and shifted out to the wing, he end, end up leading the team in tries, as mentioned before, eight tries scored in the 2021 season. On top of that, uh, he learned to play tough. Um, there was some games where, you know, you get, as a wing, you get absolutely smashed, and that was you know, no different for Sean this year. And I feel like he really rolled his sleeves up and, and you know, gritted his teeth and got through it, and, and he's going to be a better footballer for it. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that because it it was one of those seasons where – Young blokes like Sean were going to make great strides, um, and he didn't. He 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 started the season um, from memory. He started at fullback, then found that spot on the wing, and he's a lot faster than people think. Yeah, he's got Sean some wheels. Bust. Yeah, and we saw when we saw that in his NRL debut, he scored two against the Dogs. The uh, and you know the Eels used his speed with a, a scrum set piece as well, so. He is that. That's part of the reason why he's my player to watch because we know there's a little bit of volatility on the Parramatta flanks at the moment. Blake Ferguson's moved on. Um, you know, there, there's going to be opportunities. There's always opportunities for wingers because that's just the way the game is, right? You often have a, a young kid come in and just take a take a shot. But uh, equally so, he's a guy that could also feature at fullback if Gufferson ever goes down for a prolonged period of time. You know, knock on wood, you don't want to see it happen. But uh, he's got a, a skill set that is very well suited to the number one jersey. So yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Eels don't recruit a specialist winger. It's not going to surprise me if he gets the first shot at a wing spot um, for round one next year. Now, I I premise that with um, that it depends on what happens, as I said, around that recruitment and also around their decisions with Wonga Blake because... 
halfway through this season, I was convinced that Wonga Blake was a winger and would take Blake Ferguson's place on the wing when he departed at the end of the season. However, as that back end of the season progressed, Wonga got better and better at centre to the extent that he was one of our best players out there on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So I think he cemented his spot in the centres. I think that, uh, obviously, Will Penasini has cemented his spot at centre. But the question then becomes, what do they do about Blake Ferguson's wing spot? If they don't recruit, they've got two choices. Promote with from within, where I think Sean Russell might get the first shot. Or have a, a change of positions with Wonga Blake going there and Tom Opachik coming back into the centres. So, um, yeah, so I, I can't disagree with your choice of of uh, Sean Russell there as a player to watch because it could well be that he's a player to watch from round one next season. Very well surmised, mate. And and the biggest tragedy was of the of the year really was the fact that we didn't get to see these young kids and, and journeymen that were playing so well go into the finals because they would have made some noise. We saw them the, the last time the season actually played through, they got through to the grand final. Uh, sorry, yeah, to the grand final, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So th- this is a, 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 a system, a movement that has been building across the last few seasons and just <laughs> one way or another, just they haven't been able to get to take that final step because of <laughs> circumstance out of their control. So yeah, big shout out to Ryan Carr and that entire squad because they were just so much fun to watch and we got to do some live calls to them this year. So thanks to New South Wales Rugby Week for uh, allowing that to happen and it was just so enjoyable. You know, there was there was only a handful of games they lost, obviously, and even then, some of those losses were still great fun to cover because you just saw these young kids battling, you know, for every tackle, for every play. Yeah, yeah. So that puts the wraps up, uh, wrap up on every grade below the NRL, which brings us to the big leagues, uh, the one that we're all the most invested in, obviously. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go the way we wanted it to due to some... We talked about circumstances outside your control with the, the COVID season in the Cup, mate. Talk about circumstances outside your control in the NRL. There is a, a parallel universe where we are prepping for the grand final based on what we saw following our loss to the Penrith Panthers, which is just a damn shame, isn't it? Oh, mate, it's... Um, rugby league is always a game of... There's plenty. There's no shortage of what-ifs. In, in any game or any season, but oh, mate, that, <laughs> that game last week, it just, it, it was almost like rubbing salt into the wounds that were still oh, so God. fresh from the week before. Yeah. Obviously, we're speaking about that Melbourne Storm Penrith Panthers game where I don't think I've ever seen Melbourne be as bumbling and incompetent ever. They, they just did not want to hold on to the ball. And I know people were excited because there was some good defense in the game in terms of desperation, but the quality of that game was just so many steps below what we saw in the Penrith and Parramatta game the week before. And unfortunately for us, it means that Penrith progressed through to the grand final and we're left kicking stones in the offseason. I'm looking to maybe have something happen in 2022, which leads us to our accolades for the Eels who you know finished the ladder in sixth spot, that little uh, late-season slump proving costly towards a top-four finish. But in spite of that, the Eels sort of reforged themselves with that uh, win over the Cowboys and then that iconic win over the Melbourne Storm uh, before being able to rest players against Penrith. Uh, For the Eels, Mitchell Moses, no surprises. Top point scorer, 146 points, which came via four tries, 51 assorted conversions and two field goals. That's why it's still an even number. You got two of the one-pointers. 
And for their uh, top try scorer, despite getting seriously injured later in the season, Mike Acevo still got 17 meat pies. And he was our uh, top um, try scorer by a couple, I think. Yep. Which uh, leads us into our individual gongs. Um, I'll start with the MVP. Um, it's not quite the Ken Fournette medal, I know, but the TCT, NRL Most Valuable Player of the Year. Mate, we could have gone a few ways here. Um, there was uh, In the forward pack, there were just a number of outstanding players. In the back line, we saw guys like Mitchell Moses really kick on and take a huge step in the development. Quentin Gufferson was you know, the bastion of consistency that he always is. This player, I think, captured so many hearts amongst the blue and gold faithful. Um, he's the guy that got all the external honours, and you know he came across as a bargain bin buy that you know sort of an afterthought let go by the New Zealand Warriors. You quickly had him circled, and you told me you know in your preseason reports and just chatting to you early in the year, you got to watch out for Isaiah Papali'i. He is going to turn some heads this year, and you weren't lying. Uh, just went on to become one of the best forwards of the year. Un, you know, unarguably the the best signing of the year, uh, whether it's just outright or value. I don't think anyone can compare. He played edge, he played middle, he played off the bench. It didn't matter where they put him. He just gave you know gave his everything and was just an absolute wrecking ball. Mate, as you remember, when we were first discussing what was happening in in preseason and even even I mean I covered it in my reports just how outstanding I thought. Isaiah Papali'i was, but he really did catch the eye literally from the first preseason training session. He, he, like when it came to the, their conditioning work, he was he was one of the best workers out there. But as soon as there was work with the football, I just thought to myself, "Look at the lines he's running. Look at the look at the game awareness that he seems to have. He just." Uh, just carrying the ball seemed to be he, he was creating problems. And I know it was just internal um, opposed work, but, you know, some of that, to be honest, some of the internal opposed work in a preseason can be just as brutal as an NRL season. I, and and commentators like Phil Gould have, have referred to that in the past, just with how, how tough a preseason can be as players battle for a, a spot. But... Man, he was someone that I just I couldn't believe he wasn't that he was allowed to depart by the Warriors. I um, I spoke to um, Saltz very early on, and he said to me, "Oh, look, we keep waiting for him to you know to be turn out to be not a nice person in some way because we can't believe it either." Um, he was he, he was just it, it was just like a great footballer and, and perhaps an even better person. And um, I I can't believe that we were fortunate enough to to get him. And um, yeah, so he's my selection as well for Player of the Year. Um, he was the um, he had fifteen hundred post contact meters, outstanding. He was sixth in the NRL for tackle breaks and the second uh, the second forward in that. He had thirty offloads, which might surprise people because he wasn't really renowned for his offloads, but he was in the top 20 in the NRL for offloads. Um, 809 tackles, so he was the leading eel for tackles, mate. 399 runs, again, the leading Parramatta player. Um, 3,753 run metres, which made him the second leading forward in the NRL. And he was also the second eel behind Gutho for running as a support runner. 
I mean, just absolutely outstanding. Uh, he it was you had him right at the at the top when it came to the eye test. He was impossible to ignore when it came to the stats. Just um, an amazing, uh, you know, first season with our club. And obviously, the media have been pushing this not just with Isaiah, but with a whole string of our players about the fact he's eligible to negotiate elsewhere as of November one. He is on an absolute steal of a contract. There is no doubt that the club are going to get him stitched up, fixed up, locked up, how we want to put it long-term uh, ASAP. He is going to be one of our cornerstone building blocks for our uh, premiership window being kept open for a long time. Yeah, look, I, with certain players, you'd like to think that, um, and I mean, this is how I see it, is that there are certain people, certain players that look like they're at home with a certain club. And you see it when uh, sometimes there's a player who might have, have outstanding seasons, they switch clubs, and it's then it works in the reverse, where the new club they go to, it just doesn't work for them. Um, and then you see others where they change clubs, and all of a sudden there's something completely different about them. Now, whether it's, whether it's that the team they move to plays a certain style of football, whether it be that the, the coaches or the players allow them to be... Uh, playing to their strengths where they couldn't before. Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, Isaiah looks like he's found a home at Parramatta. Um, as I mentioned before, he's a great he's a great person. That when they had the Ken Thornet medals, the you had uh, plenty was said about how he's loved by everyone from the uh, from the office staff all the way through to the coaches and players. I uh, had the pleasure of meeting his his parents, who uh, he, it's then easy to see why he is the type of person that he is when you meet his parents. Um, lovely people, Jerry and Lorena, and of course Lorena famous as well as uh, as for uh, playing with the New Zealand Warriors in the NRLW at the same time as Isaiah was playing NRL for the Warriors. So um, yeah, look, just to me, he was an easy selection as our uh, player of the year. Good to see a unanimous pick there because there are a couple of guys that could have gone to as well. The Eels obviously having outstanding contributors in the front row and like we mentioned across the back line. Let's now switch to the back line where this one might be a little bit contentious because you look at, you know, Quentin Gufferson, captain, Mr. Consistency. Uh, you have Mitchell Moses. You have, you know, uh, you talked about Wanga Blake making big steps forwards. That shouldn't be discounted. He, his final third of the season was outstanding. He made huge strides. Uh, that will go hopefully a long way towards solidifying himself as a you know borderline rep caliber centre. It was the Wanga Blake that we'd all sort of been wanting to see, right? And he sort of just figured himself out, whether it was detaching himself from Blake Ferguson and the miscommunication errors they had there, whether it was swapping sides, where it just works out better naturally for him. Uh, Wanga was outstanding. I went with the player I felt made the biggest strides, even beyond Wanga perhaps. Uh, a guy that, you know, because of that, ended up earning representative honours. A guy that has managed to... He plays a position where you you constantly pulled and and pulled uh, sorry uh, pushed and pulled between trying to be uh, not not necessarily a hero but be dynamic and galvanize the team and also trying to keep the team on time working towards the plan and those two contradictory things often feel like they operate against each other and I feel like Mitchell Moses really started to figure out how to bring them in you know you talk about harmony and yin and yang right he he brought them into alignment as the season went on and and really started to figure out how to keep the team you know ticking over and, and following the game plan while also 
at times being selfish when he needs to be. He needs to demand the ball and he needs to run the ball and take on the line. And we really saw that start to flourish in the, the final chapter of the season from that Melbourne game onwards. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about the challenge of selecting the best back because my initial selection was Mitch Moses. And I think the reason he was my initial selection was um, that was the eye test that I applied, which which was basically that we made that leap in, as in our performances in the back end of the season on the back of Mitch Moses' outstanding form in the, the latter part of the season and the way that he was managing the games. So, um, he, as I said, he was my initial choice. But then when I was looking for uh, something beyond the eye test, it then brought me to the stats, which Gutho is just, he's impossible to ignore. He's just impossible to ignore. Uh, like the line breaks, he was the second in the Eels team for, for line breaks. Tackle breaks, second. Runs, second. Run meters, third. Kick returns. He was the, um, uh, sorry, his runs and, and run meters, I should say, um, Tackle breaks, runs, runs, meters were second um, as second of the Eels, but his runs were second in the NRL and his run meters were third in the NRL. He was the leading kick return meters in the NRL and he was the leading uh, plate running uh, support runs in the NRL. I mean, like, I just, I can't ignore that because I was critical of Gutho when we were having that run of losses because I said he wasn't playing like Gutho. And it was all of those qualities, all that on and around the ball stuff that he just brings and he brings at a level probably above other fullbacks. He's not a dynamic runner like uh, Tommy Turbo is um, or or like um, James Tedesco is. But when he's really on and he's on and around the ball, that level of involvement is unlike any other player in the Eels team or, or or probably across the NRL. And I just found it impossible to ignore his claims on that basis. And I, I do want to mention that uh, Gaffo ends the season with 20 tri-assists, which puts him in the top seven of the NRL just behind, or equal with Mitch, actually. So they're equal six, actually. He's not actually seventh. They're equal six. Uh, yep. He is the anti-Darius Boyd, whereas Darius made a career off forward passes that... Uh, got him try assists and line break assists that were, the touch is just overlooked. I don't think I can recall a fullback that throws a, a good or a line ball try assist cutout pass that gets pulled up as much as Guffo. He gets absolutely hammered by the touches for one for whatever reason. So he could have had a few more to his name there. And you know, the the only thing Guffo lacks is truly elite speed. Everything else he just makes up for on, on the back of hard work. And you, you hear coaches talk about effort on effort. And I don't think there's a player in the NRL that epitomizes that more than Guffo. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that you m- mentioned that um, those passes, um, the try assist passes, they get pulled up. He practices and practices those. Um, and, and you can see what he's working on is to get that pass, hitting that pass without it going forward to to and to land just at that right, you know, around that chest for the player to run onto. 
Um, so it, it's an area where he's always, look, he's always had that work ethic that he, when he wants to get something down pat, just to, just to be able to execute it perfectly, he works at it, works at it. So fingers crossed, he, he shaves a couple of centimetres off, off that pass where it's called forward to where it's adjudged as going backwards or line ball and doesn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really looking forward to what he can bring with the return of Reed Marnie and the the on both players, the maturation of both Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses as they, I mean, we, we talk about Mitch sort of entering the final phase of his development. I think that he arrived there this year. Uh, Dylan was highly criticised by not just fans, but also guys like Peter Sterling and justifiably so because he, he struggled at times this year uh, for rhythm and offense, but he really started to figure himself out at the same time that Mitch did returning from that in- injury post-origin three, uh, Mitch, of course, and, and Dylan really started to find that balance between run and pass. And we, we started using those different looks where it was almost Dylan playing at first receiver, the classic halfback distribution role, allowing Mitch to play more of a Luke Keery, uh, wider running half at times, which was really cool to see. So looking forward to how those four spine players can come back in 2022 and help the Eels make that big jump towards a premiership push. Bef- Absolutely. Before we move on to our final gong, I, I do want to quickly mention that Isaiah Papali'i, not just our MVP, not just our best player of the year, also earning selections in the Dally M team of the year is the back, one of the back rolls of the year. The RLPA team of the year is one of the back rolls of the year. And for whatever it's worth, the VB Hard-Earned Index player of the year for the guy that did the most uh, contributions on the field, he actually ended up dominating that one there too. And that's, uh, I, I say that for a little bit of levity, a little bit of lighthearted, you know, tongue and, and cheek, but... The recent winners of that have been the likes of uh, Fisher Harrison as I.O. and some other high-caliber forwards, I think. So that's um, pretty good company to be in, I reckon. Yeah, but it, it doesn't detract from the prestige of getting the TCT award. Well, that, that's the big one, the one that he was waiting for. And we, we do know that his family are big fans of the the uh, the throw, and they're a wonderful uh, uh, pair of parents, aren't they? So you can see why Zaya is the man he is these days um, with the, the background that he grew up with, which is... Very, very cool and makes it you know, that much better for us as fans. And before I jump the gun and get into this big spiel about who was you know the play of the watch, because we have lots of great stories there, let's get into the best forward because, geez, I mean, I've mentioned about two or three times already, but the forward pack was one of our huge strengths this year and there were just some guys in there that were outstanding. And you're going to – I'm overlooking Maradani Akori for my gong. I'm overlooking Junior Paulo. Uh, you know, there's just – all these guys that were such incredible contributors. And even though this guy missed a, a big chunk of the season uh, after that second Roosters clash of a groin injury, I don't think we had a bigger tone setter than Reagan Gamble-Gillard. And, and he just continues to be such a stunning acquisition. And I know that the Penrith Panthers haven't lost out of him moving on. This is like a, a rare, huge win-win for both, player and, uh, both clubs and, and the player involved here. Uh, Reg has reinvented himself and he is just... Uh, the fact that he wasn't mentioned among the, the Dalian props of the year contenders is criminal, but at least at TCT, he is my best forward for 2021. Mate, this was a challenge to try to come up with the best forward because um, you've given it to Reg. Um, I could have just as easily um, given it to Murata because his, he's like the Jared Warrior Hargraves yeah. of the Eels in that... He walks a bit of that fine line with the level of aggression that he plays at, and he he brings the intimidation to the Eels pack. And just the way that he was able to fill in 
so effortlessly out at centre earlier in the season was just, it spoke volumes about what he means to the team and that versatility to be either play on the edge or to play in the middle. Um, my selection, I'm a bit like what I was with the backs. I've got my eye test winner, which uh, was uh, Regan Campbell-Gillard. I thought Reg was just outstanding in terms of the impact that he created with his charges just the uh, and and how we seemed to suffer when he wasn't there so there was almost that um a world without reg was almost a measure of as much as the the team with reg um and then i was looking for again beyond the eye test I, i was looking for just that little bit more that I wanted to use to validate it, and it ended up with me changing my selection. And I came up with Junior mm-hmm. as my forward of the year. And he had that bit of a slump just around the post-origin period, but the way that he finished the season was it was right up there alongside Reg when Reg came back. And just to give you a few details, um, Junior was uh, made... 2,961 run metres from 337 runs. He was the third eel for post-contact metres behind Ice, and you might be surprised with this, Sean Lane. He was third in the NRL for offloads. Um, He was the leading Parramatta player for decoy runs. So that work ethic was strongly there with Junior. Uh, He got to play Origin again this year. I just thought that when it came down to just a, 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 a such a fine line between him selecting him and Reg, I've ended up going for the bloke who statistically backed it up as well. So uh, I've, I've, I've gone with, uh, as I said, with Junior. And, and I will say to people, because there's a few people out there that are, are critics of Sean Lane, <laughs> I'll tell you what, when you go and run through the stats this year, you'll be surprised at how high uh, Sean Lane features on some uh, major stats uh, during the season with runs, post-contact metres, run metres, uh, defence, all, all that sort of stuff. It's just it's it's actually quite surprising. So um, maybe he gets a bit of a bum rap for um, uh, occasionally switching switching off when he's um, hitting the line uh, and and drops the ball or or as he starts to fatigue with the defence. But I'll tell you what, his his stats are quite strong. And I I just wanted to give that little bit of a shout-out to Sean Lane because there's probably a lot of work he does that doesn't get noticed. Junes was my 1B to Reg as my 1A. And I want to stress how much I freaking love Junior Boy. He is just... When when we lost him in, in 2016... Uh, to the the Canberra Raiders, that was such a, a devastating blow to me as a fan because you know that we're, I mean we're doing a, a podcast where we we speak about all the junior reps and and the, the sort of pathway to the NRL. Junior was like such a quintessential story of success in in that that you know sequence that 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 journey. Sorry, and to have him you know go because of the cap pressures and all the stuff surrounding us in 2016, and and that really hurt. And then he comes back and comes back home and has really shined. And I was. I know, for, as, as a sort of like a segue, but tangentially right here, I do want to give the club praise for the Ken Fournette presentation they did uh, to members 
and, and not just members, but anyone that wanted to watch it uh, live stream on Parareels and a couple of social media platforms. Um, and they they um, had a lot more transparency this year and made it much more like the Dalyam in that they uh, made all the votes clear as to who being the best 3 to one in each game uh, as per the team's voting. And I was stunned that uh, you mentioned that Junior had a bit of a slump sort of post-Origin 3 uh but he barely featured in the voting in the, the first portion of the season where he was so dominant. And I suppose that speaks to the fact that there were a lot of other players that were also, you know, killing it out there. But, I'll, you know, Junior came home for wet sale later in the voting, but he just didn't feature early on, which was stunning to me. And I, I really, really love what he brings to this team. He's a guy that, uh, you know, brings power, brings finesse, brings big minutes. And he, he's just, there's something about Junior that very few props in a row bring that combination of uh, grace almost being so light in your feet for a big man um, and I think I mean I look at the NRL and maybe Mo Fodawaka you know a young guy that's doing some great things up on the Gold Coast he's the only real NRL, NRL equivalent of Junior he's such a unicorn I suppose yeah it's look Junior just has um, a, a unique skill set we've written about him in the past praised that uh, that Old cliche, using that old cliche about the uh, halfback trapped in a prop's body. Um, it, it probably <laughs> couldn't be truer than uh, what it is with Junior. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just waiting for that time in a game where he does a chip chase. That'll be the <laughs> – because he's got it there in the kit bag. So, Or when he lines up a conversion. We might have to wait till his retirement game to see him line up a conversion. But I'd be backing him in just on what I see. So, um yeah, yeah. So it's um, we've we've covered basically both of those props there in our um, in our assessments. Even if it was uh, we've gone um, the opposite way for each, but we're um, I think we're both in agreement that the bookends were a big part of Parramatta's success in yes. the forwards this year. Um, and then once you throw in uh, ice into the mix, it's just a very uh, obvious strength of the Eels at that forward pack. Yep. And that brings us to our, I mean, it's been a long podcast. I'm surprised, but not surprised at the same time, because me and you can certainly yap, but there was a lot to talk about going across, what, uh, six, six grades of football here. And this award, it's obviously not the most prestigious. It's not the most valuable player or the best player of the year. Uh, you know, the, the coveted TCT work, workshop title player of the year, Gong. But this is the one that maybe was the most fun to pick because the Eels had some incredible storylines here when it comes to player to watch or, or 60s spotlight, whichever way you want to spin it. Um, we had Bryce Cartwright come to the Eels and completely reinvent himself and be a, a really meaningful contributor to a you know a significant finals push. We had Hayes Dunster go from being a, a fringe NRL player that I know reading social media and, and beyond a lot of fans, not just the, the vitriol, but a lot of fans were down on Hayes. You know, he's not never going to be, you know, uh, an NRL regular, and he really, mate, the, the progression he made this year, he went from being fringe NRL to being like a plus NRL starter. And and that culminated in a final series where up against uh, one of the most rugged defensive displays outside of our own effort, obviously, you'll ever see from Penrith. He went over 200, including some huge clutch plays. So, you know, the progression of Hayes was outstanding. Ray Stone turned a lot of heads. This is a guy that me and you and, and anyone that's been following TCT have been bullish on for a long time. Uh, Stoney is the the best technical tackler I have seen perhaps in the modern game. He's just so good, and we, we've seen him you know really emerge in the back end of twenty twenty one and really make 
calculations for the bench in, in 2022 be that much more complex because if he stays fit, he's a difference maker. But the the one player that came on, and there are sporting cliches and there are sporting cliches, right? And the, the one that really jumps out here is that if you're good enough, you're old enough. And this is a player that we have, from day dot, he just stood out in the junior reps. He was a player that we all had bookmarked in as an NRL plus, you know, going on to maybe rep honors in senior football at some point. Uh, his timeline wasn't meant to be 2021, but opportunity came his way and, and he was just that good that he, he took it for his own. And we, we spoke about his path to first grade before he made his debut. He, he versed a murderer's row of opposition players in the New South Wales Cup this year and just always came out the better, except for maybe one time against, uh, oh my goodness, the West Tigers, uh, BJ Law. I think that was the only time he ever had like an, uh, a net negative game. And that's Will Penasini. He just kicked down the doors, took the opportunity and never looked behind. Uh, what what a he's, he didn't win any rookie of the year awards. He didn't get the club's rookie of the year award because Hayes was uh, so great in his story in his progression. But I I can hardly recall a guy that has come in and looked so natural in first grade as a young kid. Uh, dare I say since maybe Jared Hayne going way way back, you know, to post Brian Smith. Yeah, and it's no surprise then that Will is also my. 60 spotlight player to watch because I had him, if he had not played as many games in the NRL as he did in the end, which I think was five appearances, was that right, by the end of the season? I believe it was five. Anyway, um, if he hadn't gone on to play the five games, then he was my player to watch from the New South Wales Cup. And the reason for that was that he sat fourth in the New South Wales Cup for run meters with 1,960 run metres, and he had 769 post-contact metres as well. Um, he was in third position in the NR, in the New South Wales Cup with 192 runs, and he was in 12th place for tackle breaks. And then he comes into the NRL, gets two tries, has 12 tackle breaks, and 129 average running metres, 129 metres average running metres for a young bloke playing out in the centres. I mean, that's quite remarkable in the, across those five games to, to have that sort of average running metres as a centre. He's not there as a winger. He's not there as a fullback. He's not taking the hit-ups of the front rowers and he's still getting those sorts of running metres. I, I thought it was outstanding as a rookie, as a 19-year-old and yeah, he was just... He was, for me, he became an easy pick as the player to watch for uh, next season. And and naturally, obviously, there's always the concern of the second-year syndrome and having that sophomore slump, if you reference American sports. But there is just so much to like about what Will brings. He, he is eager and decisive in defense. He consistently makes good reads and good calls, which helps out his winger. It helps out the entire edge. And we saw that combination between him and Murata really beef up that right edge defensively to the point that team started attacking the other side uh, in that back stretch of the year, which is just an incredible praise you can direct towards a rookie center. Um, you mentioned the fact that he gets high run meters. That's because he consistently gets back to help his outside backs, his, his wingers and his fullback. If you watch him, he'll get back hard and, and make that carry for them and help out the team. Uh, he, you know, he blends speed and finesse. There was that movie put on 
against Newcastle where it was all downhill, the in and away, and then the, the Matt Gidley flick. He brings uh, the whole complete set of tools to the centre position, and I'm really like he is a build around player for your back line, and and I really look forward to what he can grow into as uh, 2020 and beyond comes towards us. And yeah, that's a, a really really positive way to wrap up this one, mate. That was a lot of fun. I know the Eels didn't end up tasting premier success premiership success, sorry, in any of those grades, whether it was due to COVID shutting down the New South Wales Cup or our match just running into a team that was just that much better. But a lot of positivity there, mate. There's a lot of great young talent this club. There's a lot of great young talent in the NRL already. Um, but, you know, we're, we're set up for success, mate. The the pathways are there. And I really look forward to being able to dive back into these uh, six grades in 2022 and, and see the stories develop for each grade and, and for the players across them uh, next year. Yeah, so, again, that's, as you said, it's a, a positive way to end the season when we're trying to... Well, I suppose when we're struggling to narrow down our selections for the different awards, um, it's always disappointing at the end of any season where you go, oh, well, there's always next year. But truly, there's so much to look forward to in 2022. I just want to take the opportunity to thank everyone that's been of assistance to TCT uh, through the year with the grades, uh, the different grades from our, our coverage with the junior reps, which is uh, supported by Parramatta Leagues Club, our uh, the support that we've received from the coaching staff in the junior reps, from uh, Joey Grimer in his uh, overall management position of the of the junior reps, through to the the coaches Steve O'Day, Craig Brennan, uh, Ryan Walker, all of the staff there that have been involved, the players that have made us welcome in our coverage. Uh, it's it, it's been a great year from that perspective. Um, also, the staff at at training that have made us welcome uh, through the grades um, and all, all the way through to NRL with the um, without. I suppose we're we've been in a we're in a position that a lot of people could be in in that anyone's welcome to go down there and watch training, but it's always. Uh, we're always grateful for the the time that is provided to us by the staff that are, are down there at training, um, and it's it's something that we don't take for granted. So, again, our thanks to all the all the coaching staff uh, and and the uh, staff of the Eels for the senior grades as well. Well said, mate. And the best thing I can promise, and this is a guaranteed promise, is that the uh, working title, but the TCT season awards are guaranteed to be back bigger and better in 2022 because we did six grades worth of reward or awards sorry, this year and we're going to have seven next year because the Eel is going to have an NRLW and two NRLW campaigns to, to break down. So look forward to that and we might have to actually split the podcast next time and do junior and senior awards because we're already closing in on, on two hours here and it's uh, going to be that much bigger with two NRLW seasons. So look forward to that. As always, Thanks for stopping by and having a listen. This was a mammoth one, but there was a lot to talk about, um, you know, not just from individual player, you know, uh, recognition as we did, but, you know, the overall ethos and the development journey that we're going or undergoing as a club to help set up the NRL for long-term success. And as you can see, there is a lot cooking here. And even if grades like the SG Ball and the Jersey Flake struggled this year because of it, we are set up to be healthier in the long term in the uh, purview of first grade, which is what we're all about. 
As always, yeah, thanks for stopping by. Um, if you have any comments, if you've got uh, any ideas for our working title for the season awards, feel free to drop them into the comment section. Um, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me is 60s. It is an absolute blast to be able to do this. And we look forward to doing our next podcast, which should be the uh, Junior Reps preview, mate. Yeah, so we've got the podcast will continue through the off-season into the pre-season. And yes, we do have a, a Junior Reps squad announcement special episode and we'll also be uh, looking at uh, uh, chatting with uh, another junior club as part of our Parramatta story so look forward to that there you have it see you guys next time